So take your Bibles and find 1 Timothy 5, and let's look this morning at this half of the yellow line, shall we say. The road that's going from the church to the elders. And what the family of God, the, the people who make up a local assembly, how they're to respond and react and treat the men that are called elders in, in their midst. 1 Timothy 5 Give some real light on that. So with your Bibles there, what I'd like to do this morning is take a few minutes and just kind of read through the text and explain it with a couple of three simple points. Kind of help you understand what's going on here factually. Then take a few questions from the audience. If you have some, we'll have some chance for you to ask them. And then I want to make one simple application at the end that I think will kind of help us put our hands around the whole issue. So let's first of all notice what the text says here. 1 Timothy 5. He begins in verse 17 with the word elders. And you'll notice that that is a, a people group, shall we say. It's a, a, a subset of folks in the family of God. And it really fits the context because if you'll notice in chapter 5, he's talked about another subset called what? Widows. He's talked about another subset of younger men, and then older women, younger women, older men. He's mentioned several kinds of people groups. He'll go on in chapter 6 to talk about employers and employees. So tucked in this context of different kinds of people in the church, he mentions this group called elders. Verse 17, follow with me. Be sure to take some good notes, mark in your Bible. That's one of the values and kind of a character trait of our church is we just really love to look into the Word, and I trust that you'll follow along with us. It says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Here's his reasoning for this. Verse 18, for the the Scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. And then a quote from the book of Luke, the worker deserves his wages, using a comparison from an animal first, by the way, and then from an actual person. So, Paul lays out for Timothy a requirement. First of all, the elders are to be appropriately honored. That's one of the tasks that the church has to the men who are called elders and appointed with that task. Now, listen very carefully. It's a little awkward for me to talk about this because as an elder, and as an elder who benefits from your resources, uh, it's odd to talk about this double honor thing and how we're to, how elders are remunerated. It's kind of odd for me, but I'll try to walk through this delicately and let you know what I think this passage teaches. Um, he says here that elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. Almost, you can almost read that like saying, okay, so if you do a really good job as an elder, you get double honor. I guess if you do an okay job, you get kind of single honor. Right? And that's not what's going on here. But some have misinterpreted this to kind of mean there's a category of elders that they don't do very well. That's not at all what's happening. That would be anti-biblical, wouldn't it? Because First Timothy 3 says that all the elders should be able to teach and are, and are able to rule and I don't think also there's another thing going on here. Some have taken this text to mean there are ruling elders and then there are teaching elders. I don't believe this passage is a proof text for that at all. Here's what I think is going on. If you take the word well and you just connect it to the phrase, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching, I think what you find is Paul saying and making this point, that in a group of elders you will have men who will be able to devote more of their time, almost in an exclusive way, to the task of teaching and preaching to the body of Christ. That, in a way, is, is a more devoted, kind of exclusive use of their time. So in that sense, they're ruling in a, in a more devoted, kind of exclusive way. Not better, just different. Does that make sense? So, I think when he says double honor, what he's meaning is this. There is honor to those who are elders, first of all, because they're elders. 
And then out of that group, those who were able to exclusively devote their time to the teaching and preaching of the Word, then they get another honor, which in this case is even more specifically the, the fact that honor there means honorarium. Does that make sense? So it's not that they get more. It's that they get a different kind of honor. There's honor for all elders. Then out of those elders who exclusively teach and preach, like I, was, I use the word full-time or vocational. I'm not sure I like those words a lot, but I think they communicate the heart of what we're after. Then the church comes alongside them and meets their needs financially. I think that's what he's talking about here. That's the double honor. An honor for being an elder, and then the honor of having your needs met by the church body's resources. He's not talking about that the average pastor should make twice as much as the average guy in the church. Are you with me? I've heard that said before. I've heard pastors preach, well, the Bible says pay your pastors double honor so they ought to get twice as much. I don't buy that. I don't think he's teaching that at all. There's been some other situations, I mean, other interpretations uh, suggested too. Some have suggested that perhaps the double honor means that he's to get a double portion of meat when they have their love feast. One of the third century practices was that that's what the elders would get. They would get double meat. Now, while I might favor that personally, I don't think that's what this is teaching. Another interpretation was that the double honor is in contrast to widows who got single honor. You recall the previous verses? It said you're to honor widows. But then he seems to say the elders give them double honor. I don't quite buy that either. I think the simple, uh, on-the-surface meaning of the text is that there are elders, like Dave Nelson and Vince Lozada and Corbin Z, who were honored as elders, but they draw their living from other places. And then there are elders who actually give their time exclusively to teaching and preaching, they have an extra honor of having their financial needs met to the church. Does that make sense? That's all he means by double honor. He's not trying to say that, that because I'm a teacher and preacher, I have more honor than Dave Nelson. He's not saying that at all. He's saying there's just two honors, and elders who, who rule in the area of preaching and teaching, they get the extra honor of having the church meet their needs. Does that make sense a little bit? The point is this, that regardless of, of which elders in focus, honor is appropriate. Are you with me? And I want to thank you, on behalf of all of our nine elders, I want to thank you for honoring us in that way. You know, I want to be, I want to be really transparent with you and tell you that, um, I mean, the nine elders of this church, they know each other well. We meet regularly. We pray together. And as we approach our fireside chats at least twice a year, which is when all the elders go to the lighthouses they oversee, and they talk with them, they listen with them, there's not a single elder in this church that says, oh man, this is that time of year when I've got to go talk to the, to the folks that I oversee. Man, they're going to they're gonna put the whammy on me. I dread that. They're going to they're gonna have me with questions. They're gonna... There is no combative nature of our conversations. No elders like... You know, dreading talking to you guys. You know what that says to me? That says to me that you have the appropriate response and attitude towards your elders. That they look forward to conversations with you. And trust me, that's not always true in some churches. Some churches, they, it's almost like a combative relationship. It's almost as if the elders are coming over, what do we do wrong? Or the elders are like, hey, I've got to go see this group of folks. Pray for me. <laughs> and neither are true. There should be appropriate honor from the congregation to the elders. And what I find interesting here is, I've been saying this is the church's job, and it is, but Paul encouraged Timothy to make sure this happened. There may be an indication here that Timothy was somewhat of a first among equals, like an, an elder with them. 
through that prophetic message that was given to him in his, in his calling. And yet Paul see, saw him as kind of responsible to make sure this happened. And so in some ways, I see myself, even though I'm equal with our elders and I share in their plurality, as the, kind of the out front person, I see myself as someone who can hopefully make a real difference in the honoring that takes place to our elders. And that as they relate to you guys and as you relate to these guys, there's a real healthy honoring that goes on. Amen. I want to thank you for having that kind of attitude and building that kind of atmosphere here at First Family. Um, it's, a, it's a joy for us to serve you knowing that you are so receptive to our leadership. So that's the first thing. Elders are to be appropriately honored. He mentions some other things too, beginning in verse 19. He says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. In other words, false rumors and measly type of preferential uh, statements. Well, I don't like the way this happened. I don't think you should have done that. You know, just, just, just don't even mention those. Because accusations, things you're going to bring as an elder should be verified. They should be factual, evidenced. See, that's one way we honor elders. We don't just slightly say things against their character and about them. Instead, we have a, 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 a parameter here, a filter. Two or three witnesses must be able to say, hey, there's a sin issue going on in the life of an elder. I've got witnesses, and it's not just like they made a mistake. It's an ongoing, persistent sin. The word sin here is in the present tense, meaning that it's something that an elder continually, without any regard to private exhortation, just keeps on persisting in. See, that's the only time really you bring an accusation against an elder. And when that's the truth, verse 20 says, they're to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. And then watch this. As if he understands, as if Paul says, Timothy, I know this will hit you hard. This will be like, man, I'm not ready for that kind of leadership. I'm not ready for that job of holding elders accountable, of, of seeing that, that we are blameless to the congregation. He says in verse 21, So I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. Paul raises the bar here, doesn't he? He's like, Timothy, this is not some task for the faint at heart. And so I charge you in the sight of God, the elect angels, which by the way means that angels observe what we do. And there may be actually angels who are assigned to that task, meant by the word elect, perhaps. So he says, listen, in the sight of these people and the Jesus Christ, keep these instructions without partiality. In other words, no elder gets a pass because they've been on board for 20 years, and no certain elder is more suspicious because he's new. In other words, it's an even playing field, amen? And to do nothing out of favoritism. I draw some implications from this verse, one being this. I tend to think Timothy was, was somewhat, um, he struggled with leading the elders of this church and leading this church and, and combating false doctrine. We see that from several verses, this being one of them. I think Paul came alongside and said, Timothy, this is a difficult task. It's an arduous journey to embrace leadership. But leadership matters, Timothy. So I charge you in the sight of God. He's like really just motivating him strongly. To hold elders accountable. To encourage the church to, to watch the lives of its elders. And when there is persistent, ongoing sin, when an elder refuses to heed the advice of those who privately have come alongside and said, you know what, this has got to stop, then we're to take that before the church. Not, so to, not to embarrass the elders sinning. Not to make the elders who are right seem like they're better than someone. But why? So that the church at large may take warning. 
I recall seeing this happen at my home church when I was about 17 or 18. I'm not sure the exact year. And I say this not in any way to demean my home church. It was an awesome church. But there was a period of time we had to deal with some things. And I wasn't aware of it, but it came to the attention of our church one day that one of our elders had been having an affair with the pastor's secretary for a long period of time. And that blew us away. I mean, I'm, I'm just being very transparent with you. You don't hear news like that and then just sit down and, you know, play Nintendo Wii. I mean, it's like, I mean, you see these guys every week. We saw them for my whole life, from fifth grade on at least, I should say that. We were there for years. And we, you, you, know, you know them. And you're thinking, he did what? And it just it strikes you as like, okay, I can't, I can't quite put my hands around this. And so uh, my mom and dad always sat down and talked about it. And I recall the next few weeks as this unfolded, watching our pastor. Now, mind you, we had a church of about five to 7,000. So it's difficult to process. When, you say, when, you, when I say the word pastor, you think, I know, Todd. I don't think I really knew my pastor, okay? Is that okay to say? He was a godly man, humble. I didn't fault him for that. But in five to 7,000 people, you don't just see your pastor when you walk out the church. There's a lot of people probably seeing him. So, but he was extremely humble and a godly man, a wonderful pastor. And, and um, he got up. I remember watching him call to the platform the sinning elder. And uh, Mike grew up where I grew up. He remembers this probably. I mean, some of it's a fog to me in a way, but here's what I left with. I watched him embrace the elder as he confessed his sin to the whole church. And you know, here's what I don't like about things like this. Our church was packed that night. Isn't that a shame? I mean, people you hadn't seen in months are coming out. Oh yeah, that's where I go to church. I'm like, well, you're not here when, when we really need you. You just want to kind of have gloat in our difficult times, don't you? That's kind of what I wanted to say, but I held back, fortunately. But anyway... Um, I watched our pastor embrace this sinning elder. And he confessed to our church. They instituted church discipline. He was removed from his uh, duties. Did we do everything right in there? No. Looking back, there were some times I'm like, you know what? We didn't take the right step on that. There were times you felt like they weren't being really upfront about it. Like maybe they're protecting someone. Then there are other times you're like, man, they're really being straight up on it. So it was just kind of a, it would be a very precarious journey, to be honest with you. I would not want to be in those shoes. One thing I took away from that is this, though. Regardless of how every step was taken, as a college freshman, I left there and for a week thought this, man, don't mess with our pastor. <laughs> don't mess with our church. Did they do everything right? Did everything seem to be perfect? No, were there questions? Yes. But I watched the body of believers willingly say, we have a problem with our leadership. And you need to know about it. And we need to try to make, we need to get through this. Does that make sense? That had to be difficult. And I left there with this sense of warning. Like, man, don't mess up if you're in leadership here because they'll, they'll call you on it. And that brought a lot of security and comfort in the right sense to me. I want to say to you, humbly, but boldly, it is not the desire of any of our elders to ever embarrass a fellow elder. But there is an equal commitment among the men who lead this church that we will hold each other accountable for your good. And we meet together regularly, at least twice a month. One of the things we always do first is pray and we ask questions of each other. How are we doing spiritually? I'll be honest with you, it's not always like this great revival time. 
Not everyone is immediately transparent. We're probably a lot like your small group in some ways. We are like sometimes hesitant to reveal where we've been struggling and, and where we're perhaps you know not doing that great. At our last meeting, this came up and we just were asking how we're doing spiritually. And I remember I said, well, you know what? I am struggling with my appetites right now. I just really like to eat a lot. And uh, when the Lord asked me to lead our church in the home of prayer and fasting, I told Him no. I wasn't willing to bring this to the church because I didn't want to miss two meals. And you may think that's shallow. You may think, Todd, that's crazy. But that's an honest report of what I felt toward God when He asked us to pray and fast the day before election. I like to eat. I'm an old wrestler. I starved way too many months. I want to get every one of those back if I can. Are you with me? And as a human being, as a fleshly man, I was like, God, missing two meals? Not on my watch. you know. And then the Holy Spirit said, man... You got some wickedness somewhere, dude. I'm like, I know. I just got appetites that I have to learn to give over to God. And so I told the elders that. I got an email that week from another one of our elders. said, Todd, thanks for being honest and transparent with us. I suspect he may have some of the same struggles. But instead of saying, well, we just don't talk about it. We confessed it. We prayed together. And you know what? Our church did enter into a day of prayer and fasting. Are you with me? In a lot of ways, we're not different. And yet, in a lot of ways, we are that we're willing to be transparent and honest because we know that if, if one of us is continually persists in sin, there are eight more who will say, listen, you can't keep doing that. Not because they want to be better or embarrassed, but because you matter. 600 people are at risk when elders persist in sin. That's a big deal to me. Are you with me? And so the church is to hold... Elders accountable. Verse 21, he really emphasizes that. And then verse 22, he goes to another type of um, instruction for the church that I think really plays off the, the second one. He says in verse 22 that we're not to be hasty in the laying on of hands. In other words, I think if, if we do 22 through 25 well, we don't have to worry about 20 and 21. Are you with me? In other words, if we select elders carefully, which is the third thing we're to do, the church is to select them carefully. If we obey the last part of this chapter, the chances of us having to rebuke an elder publicly are very small because we've done our homework in advance. Does that make sense? Look what he says here. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. In other words, don't be quick to ordain people. Referring there to a, a process that even Timothy experienced. Remember? The elders laid their hands on Timothy and a prophetic message was given. I think it was a message about his role at Ephesus. We don't have any textual evidence of what it was, but I tend to think it was about his role at Ephesus. That's what they're talking about here with the ordination and laying on of hands. He says, don't be quick to do that and don't share in the sins of others. As if when you, when you ordain an elder to the role of overseeing the church, if there are secret things going on, you become a partner with that. That's a scary thought, isn't it? He says, instead, keep yourself pure. The first mention here is of a spiritual purity that elders are required to have. You see, the nine elders who lead this church, and I'll use them because that's what I know, we're linked together. We're arm in arm. We share a common responsibility to protect the flock here. And so in a lot of ways, we're encircling the, 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 the family of God. We're linked arm in arm. And guess what? The enemy, listen to this, the enemy will try to find the weakest link and attack us. So I'm circled up with, with eight other men. And we're holding each other accountable. We're making sure there's no ongoing persistent sin. But let's say I've got old Elder Joe over here who's like resisting re, uh, you know, um, admonitions and, and he's not responding to private appeals to really live holy. 
He continues to persist in his selfishness and his, and his lust and his own way. The devil sees and he says, you know what, I've got an easier entrance there than I do on the other side of the camp, so to speak. He starts knocking on the door. And a lot of times you don't know about those weaknesses in an elder unless time passes and you ask hard questions and you see just where people are prone perhaps to be weak. That's why he says, just don't be quick to, to ordain because you just don't know everything going on in someone's life. Give it time. In fact, if you want to write one word over verses 22 through what, 25? I'd write the word time. Most churches ordain their leaders too quickly. Now that's an opinion of a principle in Scripture. But just from watching the Christian church landscape, we're way too quick to ordain based on personality, charisma, uh, business sense, or, or some other type of success we've seen. And we don't give time to seeing what has their life produced in the past five, ten years that might one day catch up with them. Are you with me? Now listen very carefully. I'm not saying God doesn't forgive and that our past isn't under the blood. It is. But let's be real frank here. There are situations when certain sins, even in a past that's forgiven, those sins and the reports of those sins, if they become public, can catch up with an elder or with a person. In this case, elders. And you know what? When they catch up and they're made known, guess who suffers for them? Not just the elder, but suddenly the whole body's got to deal with what everybody knows now. Are you with me? I'm not saying that suddenly they're paying for their sin again. I think there are many leaders who are very repentant. But they hold off on leadership because they know, watch this, they know that until certain things in their past just kind of die down, they're not ready for the whole church to have to answer for that one thing. Does that make sense? So there's a difference here. It's like a cultural perspective, and then there's this divine perspective. He talks about that. He says, listen, some sins of men are obvious. They reach the place of judgment ahead of them. In other words, you can look at some men and see, wow, they're not ready to be elders. <laughs> you just can spot it quickly. Others, though, lag behind. See the word trail behind? And the same thing's true with good deeds. Some are obvious, and then there are those that cannot be hid. In other words... You can't always tell everything just at the first glance. So give it some time. There's a question I ask um, anyone that I'm about to hire. I don't know we ask every elder this, so I can't say that definitively. But I know that if I ever hire anybody, here's a question I ask. And I ask this now because of, I got burned one time by not asking it. I'll ask them this. Is there anything in your past that if it came out to light would really be surprising and that we'd have to kind of figure out how we're going to maneuver this. Now, that's a tough question. Because guess what? We've all got a past. You can go ahead and relax. Just breathe easy. We are a collection of changed people, aren't we? I've got a past. I've got things I hope nobody ever finds out about. You do too. You you feel really relaxed now, don't you? I mean, I'm not trying to say someone's better than someone. I'm saying this. That when you become, when you get on our staff or you lead as an elder, 600 people are saying, we'll follow you. We believe you. We'll, we'll honor you. And if something comes out that happened five years ago or whatever, and we're not aware of it, we just think that that's a much harder journey to navigate than if we know about it up front. In fact, I always say to them, listen, I'm not saying I'm not going to hire you. I'm not saying this disqualifies you. I just would like to know so that if it does come out, 
We're prepared as a team to walk through this with integrity. Does that make sense? Because you matter. I tell them, our people matter. And you can't put 600 people at risk lightly. You can't just say, well, we'll just tell them someday. I think there's a way to, with integrity and, and honesty and in a humble way, walk through difficult things about our past. Not saying we've got to announce them or tell them. But I tell you something. Surprises usually hurt congregations. Do you know that? Especially leadership surprises. And I just discovered, and I'm a very young pastor and I don't know a lot about it, that the more we communicate and the more we're up front about who we are and, and where we're headed, the more people embrace that. They're saying, hey, thanks for being honest. And if you've discovered at first time that it takes a long time to be an elder, that it seems like a difficult process, it seems like you, know, you really put them in through the, through the grind. Man, you are getting the perfect picture. You're very perceptive. Way to go! Because it's not something that we take lightly. It is a very arduous journey to care for the needs of a church. To give oversight well. And so, because we're linking up with men, because we're arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder, we don't want to share in those sins any more than... We don't want to share in those sins. So we're going to ask and investigate and ask you to ask. So that your leaders who bring a sense of protection around you, who are guarding you from the wolves and sheep clothing, you can say, you know what? Man, I can trust Dave. I can trust Corbin. I can trust Terry. And those guys, man, they've been questioned and investigated. And while they're not perfect, they're just men like Todd, there's a sense that they love the Lord, they've been investigated, and you know what? We're going to honor them and trust them for protecting us. That's a good thing to have happen in the body. Spiritual purity. By peeling back the layers of people's lives and having authenticity about their life and their leadership. Now, one verse you may have thought I skipped was verse 23. There he speaks of physical purity. You notice the whole context is spiritual purity. Don't join hands with folks. Don't bring folks to leadership who really are, have got some sin issues or are just getting over some and the effects are, are still not fully seen. Be patient there. And then he mentions this one verse. He says, by the way, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. It's like he has this lightning bolt thought. Oh, Timothy, while I'm talking about purity, spiritual purity, by the way, you're prone to illness, it appears. And because I think Timothy was somewhat, uh, he leaned toward intimidation, I think that probably upset his stomach too a little bit, along with the bad water of that culture. I mean, Timothy just struggled sometimes to stand up strong. Now, that doesn't make him wrong. This is probably his unique personality. Paul knew that and really began to say, Timothy, because leading elders and elding itself is such a spiritually arduous journey, you've got to make sure the men around you are really right, and then you've got to make sure that you're doing your part to take care of your own body. So he says, listen, if the water is impure and it's making you sick, and you're in a situation where you need to really feel good, then add a little wine to it and get that water more pure. Why in that culture help purify water? Timothy may have drank it straight, we use that word here, as, as a fruit of the vine. He may have used it that way. He may have added to the water. We don't know. But it purified what was going on so that, watch this, he could feel the best possible and be as physically, quote-unquote, pure as possible in connection with being spiritually pure. You know why? Because the church... Now listen very carefully. Listen very carefully to this. I want to I be as frankly as I can be, the last thing a church needs, a body of believers, is spiritually and physically unhealthy men. Are you hearing me? You can criticize me and think I'm crazy, 
But the text seems to implicate that this task of being accountable to each other, of leading a body of believers, is something that we should take seriously. And so we should try to make sure our bodies are up to the task and that our relationships are up to the task. Are you with me? And I want to say to you, we encourage all of realtors, and there's a constant accountability to make sure that we're up to the task of what it means to lead, not just spiritually, but physically. And I appreciate that about our elders. There can be some late night meetings. There can be some long times with couples and families and individuals about issues. There can be some difficult knowledge you have to hold and know about. There can be lots of emails. There can be lots of things you do as you work with a church out of love and out of a sense of calling. But you know what? I discovered that if you're not physically, and I'll use this lightly here, if you're not somewhat physically able to handle those demands, you'll find the effects of that really weakening your spiritual temperature. Do you know that? In fact, one of the main reasons, and this is just something I'll just share with you transparently, one of the main reasons I run is so that I can keep up with the pace of our church. Do you know that? I think as we go to three services maybe, as our church body grows, I've discovered that my energy levels increase as I physically try to increase my stamina. And so I think to myself, you know what our church needs and probably deserves a pastor who does not want to quit at 3.30 because he's worn out. Does that make sense? So I try to do what I can on the physical side to keep up with the spiritual demands. And I just want to say to you, I think that's the real gist of what he's saying here. He's saying, Timothy, do what you can physically. Keep your water pure. Take care of your body because the spiritual and physical demands of what you're involved with are very high. So three things the church should do to elders. Should honor them appropriately. Should hold them accountable. And select them carefully. That's required by the body towards its elders. Now, are there any questions, first of all, on the textual meaning here? Or perhaps a question that you may have had in response to some things you've heard and, and read. And we'll take a few minutes here, and then I just want to make one last application and be done. Any last-minute questions? We don't have the roving mic guy today. Marty's enjoying some time in Florida, but uh, you can just say it real loud and we'll hear it. Anyone at all, a question you might have? And if you're new to our church, we do this periodically. It's called the Q-Zone, and we just allow some interaction in the body as we have questions about the text. Anyone at all? We had none in first service, so that must be your saving them. Any questions at all? Wow. Okay. Awesome. We'll move forward then. What do you say? Let me make one last application. As you read through these verses in this text, as you try to understand what is being taught here, you're left with a very distinct impression, listen very carefully, that leadership matters. Are you with me? Leadership matters. And again, this is a little awkward to talk about. I'm not saying I've got it all down pat or that our elders are perfect, but there is this sense from the congregation and the elders that, in other words, leadership matters. So in 1 Timothy 3, the elders have got to be a certain type of man, have a certain type of skill. In 1 Timothy 5, the congregation should respond in certain ways. And you see it kind of pointing to this thing that says, you know what? Leadership matters. Can I show you where that thought is echoed? And this two-way street between the church and the elders is seen again in Hebrews. Look over at Hebrews real quickly in this closing verse. Here this same thought is echoed. Here this same, this same two-way street is painted for us, so to speak. And we see this unique relationship between church, the body of Christ, and then its leaders. Look at Hebrews thirteen seventeen. 
I love this verse and can remember the very time when it was taught to me and I remember exactly where I was and the impact of this verse just gripped me. And it was, it was taught to me by my, by my junior high youth pastor. And he explained what he and those who were overseeing me were. And I'll never forget where I was at that time. Look what it says, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and then submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. I see the word men, the word leaders. I tend to think this verse is speaking of elders. There's no clear scriptural evidence of that. But my first reaction is the two words men and then of course leaders makes me think he's speaking of elders in these different churches that contains Jews who were being tempted to give up because of persecution. He says, listen, the elders in your assembly, the elders among you, obey them, submit to them. And now watch this. Because they keep watch over you. That's a key phrase. The word you there is the word for souls. It's the word suke. It's not the, word, it's not the pronoun for you, and it's not the word for flesh, which would be like your body, which is sarks. It's the word for souls. Watch this. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You should honor, obey, and submit to your... Leaders, I think he means elders here, obey and submit those leaders. Why? Because they are soul watchers. In other words, they, they look after the most important and most eternal part of your being, your soul. In fact, when it says they watch, that word watch there is from two Greek words. It comes from the word sleep and the word chase. Elders are sleep chasers when it comes to watching over the body. In other words, we're not going to grow weary and faint, hopefully. We're not going to say, you know what? Man, I'm just going to take a nap real quick. I know that this is going on, that's going on, but I just need a nap. It's almost as if elders are willing to be very diligent and vigilant. This was used of the military guards in the different watches of the night. And they would stand guard and they would be, conduct their sentry. And they would, they, would, they would look after things, not with a lazy or a sleepy eye, but they were sleep chasers, weren't they? And they were soul watchers. Watch what he says here. These men watch over your souls because they must give an account. Man, the job of being an elder, the role of elding, is something that has far greater impact than just the here and now. And has a far greater impact than just on the outside. It's not about your schedule or just your church calendar. The the, the nine men who eld here are looking after your souls. Let me say that again because sometimes that may sound almost like, wow, that's a big responsibility. And you're, I think you're catching on to what Paul's saying. The nine men who oversee this body are part of a team that watch over your souls. They are soul watchers. They're not worried about where you live, what you drive, your economic status. They don't care about your reputation or if you're good to be seen with or not good to be seen with. None of those things worry an elder. You know what the elders are after? They're after to see if your soul is doing well. When we know that as a body of believers, and we sense that, and we respond to that with obedience and submission, then that produces an environment that's fun to be around. Look what he says in the last part of this verse. He said, when you obey them, because they've got to give an account as soul watchers, when you obey them, then their work is a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Isn't that interesting? When people resist God-given, humble elder leadership, it's not the elder who suffers. It's not the elder who says, well, I guess I'll just pull back on being an elder. No, it's the people who, who sense like there's tension and there's strife because, man, I wish this elder would get, quit watching for my soul. I wish he'd get speaking to my life. 
He's making me tense and he's really pushing me spiritually. I don't like that. The elder's not going to let up. You're going to have to live with the fact that that's a little tense. It's a burdensome relationship. You see that? It's like a dad and a son. The son can say, Dad, if you just quit encouraging me to do the right thing, we'd get along a lot better. The dad would say, if you would do the right thing, we'd get along a lot better. Are you with me? It's, and some of you are laughing because you know what that's like from years gone by, right? It's the same thing. Churches should look at elders and say, hey, back off. Quit looking at my soul. Quit worrying about what's most important. We ought to say, thank you for speaking into my life and for pulling back the chest cavity, for looking through the layers at what is most important. Thank you. And we should respond to our God-given leaders in that fashion. When that happens, the environment becomes one of health, transparency, and growth. And so... Like on Sunday mornings when I stand here and admonish you and exhort you in certain things. Instead of going home and saying, I'm glad that 45 minutes is up. Maybe just saying, you know, how could we live this out now before next Sunday? How could we apply this? When you hear us call for you to believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To become a Christian. To be saved, which is a biblical word. To put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not some guy trying to pad the baptism count. It's not some guy trying to make sure that, that we have you fill a card out. We are honestly watching out for your souls. It's the only thing that lasts forever. And if you don't deal with the eternal condition of your soul, who cares what you drive, where you live, or who your friends are? You'll die and go to hell. But when you trust in Jesus and believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, that's... That's when real change begins to happen. And sometimes we begrudge the very people who tell us the clearest truth. We're going to have someone say, Don't worry, elect me and I'll give you health care. Vote for me and I'll never let you down. Here, cast a vote for me and I'll make sure I'll send you another check. As if those things will really change our lives and make a difference. Perhaps we should listen to those that God places in our life called elders who speak into our lives because they're watching for our souls. And when they encourage us with truth about our homes, or our habits, our finances, our beliefs, when they give us biblical doctrine, and they say, chew on this and hold on to this, we should obey and submit to that. And I don't say that because I'm thinking you're out of line, or I'm trying to up my authority at all. I'm trying to be humble in teaching this text and say to you, I too want to respect the eight men who are partnered with me. I'm asking our church to continue in the great trend that God has started and obey and submit to its leaders because they're under shepherds under Christ. Amen. They're watching out for your souls. Man, the, the level of what an elder does just, just rises when you see it from the scriptural point of view, doesn't it? Hey, question for you as we leave. How has an elder's ministry spoken to your life? How has their ministry watched for your soul in a way has really prompted you to say, you know what, I needed to hear that. I needed to know that. God used that to help me in my walk. That's the kind of response that should be on a regular basis from the church towards its elders. Even this morning, perhaps somebody's here, and you've been putting off believing in Jesus Christ. You've put off confessing His name as your only way to be saved. This morning, as an elder at First Family, can I ask you to reconsider Can I ask you to open your heart up to the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the only physical, verifiable, resurrected 
God-man and the known history of the universe. He died for our sins. He rose again so that you and I could be forgiven and free. And when anyone believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, He comes and He transforms that heart from darkened, sin-ruled heart, and He makes that heart brand new. It's called regeneration. He then gives that person the the ability to believe, and that person expresses faith that was God-given, and they become a child of God. All that happens probably in, in time you can't even measure. But it's the work of Jesus Christ. It's the work of God the Father. work of the Holy Spirit. As that happens, people are born again. That's the kind of truth that we need to respond to. And if you're here this morning and you said, Man, I didn't know that, but I would love to be saved. I would love to respond to Jesus in faith and belief. There's no better time than today. And hear these words. Not as words looking out for your pocketbook or your address or your vehicle, but words looking out for your soul. Would you believe in Jesus? That matters most. Amen. Church, why don't, what do you say we obey this part of Paul's epistle to Timothy? And honor and hold accountable and select carefully the men among us who are to be our elders. And let's trust God to build a healthy environment on this two-way street between the church and its elders. Let's pray, shall we?